Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week, we are going to be covering some garden-themed games. We're going to be doing Arboretum, and then a brand new game that got released this year, Garden Bow. Garden Bow, with a T. Yeah, I had a hard time finding it on Board Game Geek because I kept searching garden. It's garten, G-A-R-T-E-N. Is that like a legit word? I'm not. I'm I, I'm I'm not good at English. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into uh reviewing those two games, we kind of just want to talk about, you know, some things that are going on with us as far as gaming and some of the games we've been playing cuz one of the things we often talked about is talking about the games we're currently playing and we've kind of gone back to a couple. So yeah, we just wanted to kind of let you guys know what else we've been playing besides the review games. So, what do you got, Natasha? Well, yeah, this week I taught my daughter Buried Treasure. We talked about that game just a couple weeks ago, and we both really liked it, but it was kind of a lighter game. I taught my daughter it, and she loved it. Like, she likes quicker, lighter games. Like, her favorite game is um, Sheriff of Nottingham. She likes Space Base, and she likes Splendor. And I taught her Buried Treasure, and we played it three times in a row. She's like, I absolutely love this game. We played a two-player, which was really good. Um, yeah, it was easy to play quick. Um, so if you got anybody in your life that likes those, um, lighter games, then I definitely recommend it, you know, just cause it's quick and easy to get out and play. I also played the crew again with a friend at game night. It was just the two of us and we were kind of talking through what games we wanted to play. And I was like, well, I have the crew, but that doesn't work at two. And he was like, actually it does work at two. And I was like, really? There's a, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, variant, right? With two-player variant. Yep. So it's actually a three-player game, and you play. There's a dummy player, so I know you're already rolling your eyes. I am for a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm out. See you. <laughs> <laughs> but hear me out. All so right. you deal out. You take out the four, so the dummy player doesn't get the four. The which indicates the captain, who's the captain for the round or for the game, and you lay seven cards face down uh set spread out so you know not one on top of each other seven cards out in a tableau and then you put seven cards on top of those seven cards face up so we can both see which cards half the cards the dummy player has and neither of us can see the other half the dummy player once one of those card face up cards is played then the bottom face down card gets revealed right hmm. and then whoever is the captain um controls the dummy so you have to play like it's a separate person um so if you get three objective cards then you one of them goes to the dummy you know and the captain if the the dummy is a second player then the captain would assign one to the dummy based on the cards that they see um i wouldn't say if if you hate dummy players yeah you probably aren't gonna like this um i wouldn't say it's the best way to play the crew but i really enjoyed it it really felt very different. There was a lot of strategy with um, choosing what the dummy player could play, not being able to see or not having access to some of those cards yet was interesting. Um, it was felt like a different style game, but I wouldn't write it off. I would I would recommend giving it a try if you're interested in the crew and you only play two player. I still think I'd rather play three because obviously it's just more work to manage an extra person, right? A fake person. But... But as far as like, it was fun and thinking in its own different way. And I enjoyed it. My only complaint is that um, then, so you shuff, you lay out the dummy player cards and then you throw that sub, that four sub back in the deck and you shuffle it up and deal. I would just um, play where you kept that four out and then took turns taking the four. So every other turn you're the captain. I, I would like that a little bit better than randomly because you get to kind of do more like when you're the captain, you get to be the dummy player. Um, so I, I think I'd, I, that would be my only thing that I would change about it. But overall, I enjoyed it. And it kind of was a very different way of playing the crew and, and definitely worth checking out if you're like the crew and play a lot of two player games. I think I liked it better than Fox in the Forest. If I had the two, I'd pick the crew over Fox in the Forest. You would pick the crew at two mm-hmm. player as over Fox in the Forest? Yeah. And the Fox in the Forest is fine, but I just don't find it terribly interesting because fine. But I, I think the crew is just more interesting. Especially with the dummy player? Yeah, even with the dummy player. I I don't mind the dummy player. It's a dis, a different extra piece to the puzzle. A little different. I feel like the crew is very puzzly and really thinky. And you're trying to 
make sure your moves are optimal and and having that open information with that third player is is interesting yeah i i liked it i was pleasantly surprised all right fair enough i don't know i anytime somebody says dummy player in my head i'm just like ugh cuz it's one more thing that you have to manage outside of the stuff you're already managing yep which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's just not what i want i don't want to necessarily have to deal with my cards and then also deal with those cards especially because they are their own player so they take tricks and they have their own goals so that is something extra added on i think with a card game a demi player isn't so bad because you're literally just grabbing a card and throwing it out on the table and just keeping track of who took the trick you know how many what tricks the dummy player is doing can you communicate anything as far as like all right i'm gonna throw this card for the dummy player or do you just do the action of the dummy player you're basically playing two hands the captain is yeah the captain's playing two hands and that other person's not doing anything Mm, yeah i might pass i think i'm good (laughs) (laughs) there's other two-player games there's plenty of good two-player games you don't need to but I think if you only play two-player games and you're really interested and sick of people talking about how awesome the crew is and you want to give it a shot, I think it's worth picking up. Let's t- let's just take a second to talk about the crew uh, one more time because we had another opportunity to play it three-player and we probably played it 30 times. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I keep coming back to... So I own the original crew and now with the Deep Sea mission, I'm going to get rid of my old version for that new version. I just like those cards so much better. Mm-hmm. And it just every time I keep playing this game, I just keep thinking how much I love this game. And it just, man, there's something about it. There's just something special about that game I really like. Yeah, it's 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 inching up there. Like it, it could be my number one game. That's how much I love it. The more we play it, the more I love it. It could really pass side up because it's Ooh. just so much easier to play. I guess we'll see because we're planning on doing we are planning on doing like the board game shenanigans top 100. Mm-hmm. and basically we're both going to do a 100 list and then kind of combine them. So it'll be interesting when we do that, like where it, where it shakes out, where it yeah. ends up falling, if it edges out Scythe or not. It, it might. My assumption would be Scythe would be our conjoined number one, but maybe it's not. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be the crew. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So this week I also played Arboretum. It's a card game with some set collection and pattern building. It's designed by Dan Kasser. Art is by Felipe Guerin, Chris Williams, and Beth Sorbel. Um, it's published by Renegade Game Studios. In this game, it's kind of an abstract game. Players are trying to score, score the most points. You've got a deck of 80 cards in 10 different colors. Each color features a different species of trees, and each color has a number. It's numbered 1 through 8. Players start with a hand of 7 cards. On each turn, the players draw 2 cards. You can draw from the, the deck or you can draw from any one of the um, people's discarded piles. People are you're going to discard cards face up and then you can go ahead and take any of the players discarded cards. Uh, and you can, it's cool because you can draw one at a time. So you can draw one, see what you get and then pick another one. Um, then you're going to lay a card on the table as part of your Arboretum and you're going to discard another card to your personal discard pile. What you're trying to do is create a path of trees. A path is a sequence of cards of increasing in value where the first and the last cards of the path are of the same tree. A card may be used in more than one path, so ideally you would have maybe a few three, fours, and fives, and then a lot of ones or twos, and a lot of uh, maybe six, sevens, or eights, and that kind of branch off from, from this, those center cards. So you have a collection of many different paths. As long as the first card of the path and the last card are um, the same tree, you can then, that, and that becomes a path. So you could have like a one red a two green and then like a bunch of random ones in the middle and then a six green and an eight red that'd be two paths you'd, you'd only count the green path from the six the two to the six and the red from the one to the eight but even though they kind of are have the same cards that are within those paths all right so that's the paths here's the twist only one person will be able to score each species of trees and who gets to score is determined by the cards you have in your hand at the end of the game so highest total value of cards will get to score that path. So you want to play all your path cards because that'll get you more points. And if they're all the same tree, you'll get even more points. But you need to hold on to a couple of those trees in your hand because if you don't have the most, then you're not going to be able to score it. If somebody could score pink trees. You might have all the pink trees, but they have one pink card in their hand. They get to score it and you don't. So they get score zero, but you also score zero. It's just got all this tension of 
you know, you got to play your cards in order to score points or in order to make paths, but you need to keep your cards in your hand in order to score points. And if you know your opponent's got uh, a really good path, you might want to hold on to their cards so that they can't score it. And then there's all these little special rules like um, if you have the one in your hand, then your opponent's eight in their hand doesn't count, but the one will score if you place it in a path, it'll score an extra point. The eight will score two extra points, but the eight's the highest you want to keep it in your hand. So there's all these competing factors coming and going. What makes this game so fun is the tension. You literally don't want to play any of the cards from your hand because you want to be able to keep them to score them. But obviously you have to play cards in order to, to score anything or to create anything. But you also don't want to play them too early to give your opponent away what you're trying to go for. So what are you going to discard? You literally want all the cards and you don't want to give your opponent anything they might want because you can they can pick up whatever you discard. So there's just so much tension in this game. It's like every decision is so agonizing. I think that's one of the main reasons I don't like this game that much. Uh-huh. Um, to spoiler, to come out the gate with it, is because every decision you make is picking the worst of two evils in some ways, right? So, because uh-huh. it's it's not like, oh, which, which one's better? for me to keep it's which one do i want to deny other people to have so you're almost making your decisions aren't doing the best for you sometimes it's doing uh-huh. the worst for others in some way mm-hmm. the game overall is pretty decent i like the artwork's cool the artwork's amazing yeah it has all those trees like it just looks it has a really good look to it mm-hmm. and i think the problem i have is with this game, it's slightly fiddlier than it needs to be for the type of game it is. It's a card game. And there's this like a bunch of like minutiae rules you have to deal with. All right, if you have the one and the eight, you know, that's a row, but then the two and the six of the green is a row. And it's it's those little things like, okay, if you have the one in your hand, his eight doesn't count. But if I play the one, I get an extra point. It's all these like little weird rules for this game. When yes. It's just a card game where you're grabbing a card you know, discarding cards, that kind of, and building up a tableau. It's almost mm-hmm. like too many rules for what it is. That's that's fair. It's it's very simple. Draw two cards, play one, discard one. But it doesn't become very satisfying. It becomes very punishing because you can only score if you keep those cards in your hand, but you want to score more. It ends up being a really low-scoring game. I, yes. I think it's, yep. it's very stressful. You don't know. With a two-player game, you, so you go through the whole deck, so you can look through the discard pile and you can see what people have played. So you have almost perfect, by the end of the game, you have almost perfect information. You are actually a perfect information. What's left, you know, whatever you can't, can't see is in your opponent's hands. So you can calculate that out and figure out what you should discard. You know, you don't need to keep on, if they're going for purple and you know that they haven't played that purple eight, there's no reason for you to keep the purple five because they're going to win it anyways. You can go ahead and discard it. You know that at the very end, but throughout the game, you don't know all that yet. And so it, you just don't have enough room in your hand to keep all the cards because you need to keep cards that you so you can score a pass that you're going for. You also want to stop your opponent, but you're not going to be able to stop your opponent on all of them. So you have to kind of focus on which one you want to do. And it's, it's very, very thinky. And if you don't enjoy that, you won't enjoy this game. It's, it has a lot of complexity for what it is, too. Again, going back to the it's just a card game. There's mm-hmm. a lot of complexity and a lot of decisions to be made. And normally a game like this would be right up my alley with you know, having to piece together the sequential number system in front of you and which cards am I going to get rid of to keep? And then how do I want to score? What do I want to deny my opponent? Stuff like that. But it just, for me, it comes together and it's just a little too much. There's a little too much I have to keep track of as far as like those little minor fiddly rules. Whereas like the main thing I should be thinking about is my tableau. And a lot of times you have to f- be looking at everyone else's stuff and being like, okay, I can't drop this card. Because that's the thing is just if you discard a card, that doesn't necessarily mean it's only available to the next player. You know, depending on what gets picked up and everything like that, it might be, who knows, two players down the line might get access to it. Yeah, because you each have your own discard. So I'm going to be discarding in front of me. And the next player, if they don't pick up that my card, then it's available to the next player online. Everybody has access to all the discarded cards. So that's the thing is you're keeping track of more than who's on either side of you. You're keeping track of everyone's stuff. 
It's a lot. It can be a lot to 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 manage. And I can see why people like the game it, but for me it just it didn't come together in a package that I would like to go back to. I think that's totally fair and I don't disagree with you. I want to like the game, but I it feels so punishing to me. I think it's a really good game. I just feel like it's just a little too I don't know if it's too much or it's I just don't know how it's going to play out. It's a little too unknown. Like I feel like I'm just basically like randomly choosing cards to play and discard and not doing very well at it. I don't know. I just I do struggle with it a little bit. In the very beginning, you're discarding cards and just hoping that you're discarding the correct ones because you don't know. You don't have any information. And yes, as the game progresses, you can get more information about what the players are doing. But at that point, it might be too late. That person might have already set up their system in their hand and in front of them in order to score those points. I think if you know what you're doing this game, you could do really well at this game. And if you're willing to invest the time and if it sounds interesting to you, you'll probably like it. I love the tension. I like games with a lot of tension. Um, This one's just a little too um, hard for me. I will always pick it up and play it when people are recommending it to me. But I often don't teach it to people because it's just a little too difficult overall i think i would rate it probably a six out of ten what about you bob i think i'm gonna give it a five and a half out of ten i would recommend this game if you like games with a lot of tension um you like the really thinky games or you gotta plan your move out in advance um if you like the theme it's a beautiful game i um i probably rate it like eight or nine out just uh beautiful artwork alone and that is arboretum Next up, I want to talk about a new game that I picked up at Origins called Garden Bow. It's a tile lane game. It's designed by David Abelson and Alex Johns. Art is by Matt Paquette and Company and Todd Sanders. It's published by 25th Century Games. In this game, players are trying to earn the most prestige points by growing a well-balanced and mature garden. Players start the game by drafting six flower tiles. This is where the majority of your prestige points come from. Some are just straight points, but most of them score points in a unique way. Some want specific plants or seedlings in your garden. Some care about how the, uh, about the other flowers, plants, or seedlings are placed. Some care about the shape of your garden. There are all kinds of neat ways these flowers score. This game is played by moving your piece around a rondelle and collecting seedling tiles or resources. Once you have two seedling tiles next to each other, Um, If they're the right type, then you can uh, spend a turn and those resources to buy a plant tile and you cover up those seedling tiles. Plant tiles are good because they can give you a few points, but they can also get you, uh, if you get two next to each other that that your flower requires, then you can spend another turn uh, putting down your big flower tile that's going to score you those most, most of those points. So you've got rondelle where you're collecting seedlings and resources, then you're placing your seedlings strategically covering them up with plant tiles, spending your resources to get the plant tiles. Once you've got a couple plant tiles next to each other, you're covering up with flower tiles. Pretty straightforward, but it ends up being really, really puzzly um, because of it matters how you place these tiles. You want to place them in a way where you can get like kind of four in a square that that your flower requires. And then the ones that are around it, you might want specific ones around it. You some of your flowers want adjacent ones that are very specific. All these unique rules that make it really, really puzzly that I really enjoy. Yeah, it is way more puzzly than I originally thought it was going to be taking a look at the game overall. Because mm-hmm. w- when we were at Origins, we had the uh, we had the opportunity to have the designer kind of explain the game system to us Mm -hmm. and one of the things the designer if i recall brought up was he didn't want the main mechanism in the on the board for getting your plants or to get your seeds to be too complex he wanted it to be you know good decision space but he wanted more of your decisions to be focused on the tableau in front of you creating Mm -hmm. your garden and he did a very good job with that because there is enough information or there's enough decisions on the main board about, okay, which tile do I want to get? Mm-hmm. Then I got to figure out where I want to put it. And each tile has two seedlings on it. Some of them are the same. and may have two yellow seedlings or a yellow and a red. So 
and you can't place a plant token on the same tile. It has to be two tiles. So yeah, there's a lot of choices there with which tile. You know you need this yellow one, but the one next to it, you also want that one to be a green because that'll score you more points, for example. Well, and you wanna you can always skip too, right? You can always put down resources. Is it worth to give up resources to get the seedling tile that you really want? Yeah. Maybe what you do is you, instead of going to grab a seedling tile, you divert yourself down. That way you can acquire a plant, mm-hmm. put it over something, and then it basically can start freeing up some space in front of you. So now you're not, you know, hopscotching over the other players. You're now able to have access to this one tile because somebody else moved. Because you're always moving forward, so you can kind of picture that. Like as a the last game we played, I was a th- I was the third player, so I have to constantly kept jumping you and the other player. Well, it got to a point where I had gone down a couple times just to start planting mm-hmm. in my garden, and everyone had already raced ahead. So then all of a sudden, now I'm in first place. So now you guys have to jump over me, and I have access to the ones in front mm-hmm. until somebody else does that. So it has this nice way of giving you enough choices where you can you have to think about it but it frees you to really focus on the tableau you're building. Yes, exactly. I totally agree with you. When we saw this game, I fell in love with it instantly because of the beautiful artwork. I it's all flowers, which I love. It's got this vintage artwork look to it that I really like. I think it was absolutely gorgeous. I love tiling games. And when the designer talked about the game, I was like, oh, it just seems really kind of simple. Um, but I just love the artwork. I was like, I'll get it anyways. And I, and I was blown away by how much strategy there was. He said it was really puzzly and I was like, eh, is it? But the way those those flower tiles score is what makes it so puzzly. There is a family variant where the flower tiles just score straight up points and so it doesn't have near as much puzzliness to it and i think that'd be a great family uh addition way of playing it but if you like that complicatedness of uh planning it way out in advance um it's really really scratches that itch and i find it really hard but every time we've been playing it i've kind of gotten a little bit better and a little bit better and i really love that in games yeah, you're almost, what did you say? I, I need to play this again until I finally win. Yeah, and I almost, like, at least I didn't win this last game. I haven't won yet, but I didn't win the last game, but at least I felt like I had set myself up in a way that I was at least doing well. And I like, I thought the flower tiles would just be laid out. I really like how you draft them at the beginning of the game. So then you have a plan what you're going to do for the whole game. And it's kind of cool because you lay these flowers tiles down, face down, and then on every face down tile, you lay a face up tile. So when you draft, you just have them on the board and everyone takes a turn picking one. You get, you choose which tile you want and then you get a random one that you don't get to see what it is. And you end up with six and you discard one. And typically when I play, I've only put down uh, four, not all five of them. And you've only put down what, three when you played? Yeah, all the times I've played, I've only done three plants mm-hmm. or three flowers. That's the, you know what the hard part about this game is differentiating between seed, plant, and flower. As easy as that sounds, me saying it out loud, it is way more difficult when you're like in game playing. You're like, all right, I'm going to grab this. I'm going to grab this flower. You're like, no, that's a plant. You're like, oh, okay. All right. And then I'm going to, so I'm going to grab this plant. Well, no, that's actually a seedling tile. Yeah. Okay, fine. Then I'm going to, I'm going to do this flower. Oh, that is a flower because it's four squares, right? It just, it, it's a little, as easy as it may seem, it is more confusing than it needs to be. I think it's because the seedling tiles are actually pictures of flowers. Yes. You yeah. know, but they're seedlings and then you've got these plants which also have flowers on them. Um, but they're one specific type of plant. And then the flower tiles like are very obviously flowers. They're yeah, it's it's you need to repeat that when teaching it. Seedlings, plants, flowers. Like if you Because it matters for scoring. It matters for scoring. Everything else, like it's really intuitive. You're gonna know exactly, like you you know that you need to put the seedlings down first. You know you need to put that, those tiles down first, and then those down second, and then the, those big ones down last. Like that's easy, but the the verbiage is is tricky. It's not intuitive. Okay, I have a couple complaints. I don't want to say complaints. I have a I have a couple things that frustrate me about the game. Overall, I'm going to say before I get into this, these are just like nitpicks in some way, in some regards, because I actually like the game. I love the spatial puzzle. I really like how you draft those tiles. I agree 100% when you said that. The fact that you have 50-50 information, you grab a set, you can flip it and say, oh, okay, 
it got to the point in the last game where I happened to draft tiles and three of them, if I could get them to work together, would generate me a ton of points and I was able to accomplish that. So I had one that was like one point for every square. Cool. And then I had one that was like two points for every orange seedling. Cool. And then I had another one that was just like score two points for each connected set of seedlings connected to this. Well, I just started scooping up orange seedlings and making it into a box. So every orange seedling was scoring me five points. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. You know, you're if you're scoring, you know, into the hundreds, like 130, that's a pretty decent score, I would say. The the nitpicks that I have. Number one is creating the plants. There's usually um, a system. So it's let's say you want to create the yellow plant. You need to have two yellow seedlings. Cool. The problem is some of them can do so like the purple, you can either have two purple or you can have the red and the blue. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So you're combining those colors. But they're so small on the tiles because you can really read them in a couple ways. One, on your flower tile, it has the plants you need, and then those plants have the symbols to create them. Or you can look at them on the actual plant tiles. And they're so small that sometimes you have, like, how many times were you like, oh, wait, dang it, no, that was the wrong plant. Because the purple and the blue are very similar. Yes. You know? if they're When they're blown up in the seedling tiles, they look very different. But on the plant tiles, they're so small that that blue has purple tones in it. It looks like you could you could easy mix them up and in fact I did. Right, and that's that is one of those things that it just I I would have the honestly, if you want to keep them that small, fine. No big deal. I understand. I, as far as the artwork, you would have to do a compromise with that. Uh, give me like a player guide on how to create the plants. So I have a little thing that says, "Okay, if I want to create the yellow plant, these are my options." Mhm. And something slightly bigger so I don't have to like constantly be picking up the plant and looking at it be like, all right, yeah, that, okay, that is a purple. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. That is a, like a little bit of a nitpick. And they chose flowers like they chose real flowers. They weren't cartoony flowers. So they were kind of a little similar where like the, the two, pur- the blue and the purple were kind of similar shape opposed to like the yellow, which was a big daisy style flower, which looked very different than the cone like purple and blue flowers. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that. Um, the shape of it is fine when it's big, but when it's small on the plant, it is difficult to, you have to be, pay attention. Yes. And then I think the wording on some of the flower tiles are not the best because what you, it'll say, this is how you score and you're like, oh, okay. And then you'll read it in the book and it, it's different than what the tile would suggest it to be based on how some of the other tiles are worded. It's- and we got, so we got into a big discussion about it and like. We argued. The thing is, we argued for sure. Because I, at the end of the day, I. So before we get into the argument at hand, I I said at the end, I don't care how we score it as long as we're all doing it consistently. It doesn't matter. But reading it suggests it differently than anything else. It was something like score for your largest set of identical seeds Adjacent. adjacent to this flower. So the way in my head I interpret that is, okay, you you create a big patch of the same seedlings and it's At as long as it's connected. At least one of the edges is touching, yeah. Yeah, it's connected, right? No, it, what it is is uh, it can have a total of eight. So two on top, two on the side, two on the bottom, and two on the other side. So it would have to be those adjacent around it. But after reading it, I'm like, okay, I can see what they're saying. But initially, based on like some of the other cards in there that's just what i assumed it'd be like you just have to create a set i i think whatever's connected to it the biggest set connected to it i think the wording is as good as it can be i think it's really finicky about like the way each of the tiles score very differently like so whatever they word it it's going to be different you know it's not like there's one way to word it and then that'll be for how it is for the game they're all very different i think we would have benefited from a picture showing a way to score it from each of those flower tiles that were slightly complicated that, that would be what I would do. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I think that's fantastic. Like I said, it's just not, it's just. It kind of, in, it, it's not in, intuitive. We like as argued much as about how be, to in, yeah. interpret it. Yeah. And and that's fair. Like the first time I played it, I think I got like three of them wrong. And my friend was like, no, it means this. I'm, oh, oh yeah. So I definitely would recommend the um, the family edition for anybody who's not used to these odd ways of scoring and keeping track. 
Well, once you like know how to do it, it's fine. But even then I wasn't. And the funny thing is we argued and it was more about like, we were arguing semantics over how it was written. Like I didn't really give two shits about how it scores. Like if, if that's how it scores, fine, I'll do, that's how I'll know going into it. And I don't care, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't like in my head, it, they could have worded it better. And then I'm getting, I'm getting like talked down to about how I'm stupid and like, I don't know what's going on. You guys told me I'm an idiot and it just, it's the worst. <laughs> <I> always had. <laughs> we just told you that you were wrong. Like, I understand how you interpret it that way, but you're wrong. This is the best way that you can explain it. I think they explain it the best way possible. I don't know that how it could have been explained any better. I think pictures really would have helped. Yeah, pictures would have been because great. I, I, when I looked at the, the, in, in the rule book, it just kind of reworded the same thing. It didn't help explain it. It just kind of basically said the same thing. So if you had questions about how the scoring tile, you read the rule book, adds a few more words, but doesn't really clarify it. Pictures would have really helped. I think the only reason why you came to that conclusion is because in the book it said it can have a maximum of eight and it would only make sense that it would be two on each side. Yeah, I agree. If it wasn't, if that wasn't in there, then you probably would have thought the same thing I did. Probably. Probably. So, there you go. So I am somewhat right. Um, one more thing I want to talk about with the Sometimes. the overall aesthetic of the game. And this is something I, for whatever reason, I slightly appreciate is so as you're building out your tableau and you're trying to focus on maximizing the score out of certain flowers, you start building this up in almost 3D. It's slight, but because you're laying out seedlings and then placing plants on seedlings and then placing flowers on plants, starts creating like this three-dimensional type of layout in front of you. And I really like that. I know it's not a major thing. I know because of how thin the cardboard is, it's not like they're not like super huge pieces. It's just ever so slightly enough that even like looking across the, when I saw you and Adine playing it, I was like, when I saw that spatial like leveling, I was like, man, that's just kind of cool. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, all the components are really nice. I like the game. Um, the board is double-sided, and it, actually there's two boards that you put together to make one board. And so there's each um, two players different than three player, which is different than four player. So it scales really well. I liked it at two. I liked it at three. I haven't played it at four yet. I'm sure it'd be just as good. Um, there's just more seedling spots. But the components overall are very, very nice. Yeah, I would agree. Though... The only other egregious thing is the box size is too big. The box size is too big, yeah. It comes in a big box and it doesn't need to. It could be more compact, yeah. There's a lot of there's some extra space in there. It fills up, but there is extra space. For sure. It's a wider box, yeah, than it needs to be. So what would you rate it? I rate this game a nine out of ten. I really, really like it. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I am giving it an eight out of ten. I, I enjoy it quite a bit as well, especially that whole puzzly nature of putting together your tableau the interesting thing specifically for me the last two games that i played one i created a gigantic box because i wanted a square to score points Mm -hmm. and the game before i created this ridiculous pattern because i needed as many edges as i possibly could to score points yeah yeah so going into it it's always going to be slightly different based on the flowers that you have Mm -hmm. which i think is cool yeah I recommend giving this game a shot if you like the garden theme, you like tile laying games, if you like something really thinking and puzzly, I highly recommend it. But also the family variant is really good. Um, I'd recommend that as well if you even if you don't like something super heavy or puzzly, I'd still recommend giving it a shot. That's Garden Bow. And remember it's spelled with a T. So G-A-R-T-E-N-B-A-U. Garden Bow. Um, before we're gonna take a before we're taking a break. Getting to our discussion topic of hosting game nights. Well, the other thing we wanted to do is just kind of talk about some of the other things we like and review some of the things like pop culture esque with books and TV shows. I know Natasha really likes to read science fiction and hates fantasy. <laughs> uh, I I'm part of like a book club where we do sci-fi and fantasy books. So yeah, we just wanted to. Come on here, and if there's something... Mostly because when I watch a new show, like I really want to talk about it, and a lot of people in my life like haven't seen it, so I have nobody to talk to about it. And so I only talk about the good stuff. And so you guys get to hear it firsthand. Yeah. So I just recently reread um, Project Hail Mary, which is by Andy Weir. It's a book, 
and I just love it. I think it's so good. It's my um, style of sci-fi. He wrote The Martian. If you, I don't know if you've seen the book or read the movie, but highly recommend that seen book. Seen the as book well, or read the movie? Especially if you like the movie, the book. Did I say that wrong? Um, you said if you've seen the book, read the, the movie. movie I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. All right. Yep. If you have seen the movie, I highly recommend reading the book. Assuming that you've seen the movie, you, I'm assuming you liked it. Uh, the book really follows the movie. It's really, really good. It's one of my favorite books. I like sci-fi that is um, like light and fun. And and this sci-fi isn't super, it's not super science-y. It's not super heavy. It is really science-y, but it's not super heavy. And it's really kind of quick and, and uh, moves at a quick pace. And it's just fun in, in all the right ways. So um, Project Hail Mary is his latest book. It came out probably a year ago or so. And uh, it's really good. And I'm trying to make Bob read it. And he doesn't like listening to audiobooks. It's on Audible. I recommend listening to it. It's not that I don't like re- listening to audiobooks. It's just not my preference. I'd rather just read a book. That's almost like, I don't know. Then read it. I got, I got, I'll put it in the queue. That's fine. Oh, that's put. I'll put it in the queue. You need to you know? read it. You need to read it. It's, it's like really good. it's gonna be. It's like five books in. If you want me to read it, that's fine. Give. Do you? Did you actually? Hold on. Did you actually read it or did you listen to it? I listen to it. When I say read, no. I usually mean listen to it. I read very few <laughs> books. I listen to most of them. So you do. And it counts. Bob, okay, Bob doesn't think that audiobooks count as reading, which he is totally wrong. I don't. I mean, I Obvi- don't. You're not technically. It's just you're not easier. Reading. No, but I'm listening and processing. So whatever. Yeah, but same it's not thing. reading. It's, it's just no, it's not. It makes reading quicker and easier for people that don't that are busy, and, and it's easy to sit in the car and listen to a book. You can't read and that, drive. You can say listen to the book all you want. That I have no qualms with. Cool. Yeah, you're gonna listen to a book. Sweet. Have fun, have at it. But don't say you read the book. You didn't. You listened to it. That's what I'm saying. Is it's not. I don't care how you consume. Your entertainment. If you want to listen to an audiobook, cool. My wife loves it. That's she's always listening to audiobooks. And I'm cool with that. There's been times where like we'll go on a long ride and we'll put an audiobook and I get invested into it. That's fine. But don't say you read a book. You didn't read that book. You listened to that book. There's I disagree. I think it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It is same not the same thing. thing. I disagree. Same thing. Doesn't matter. No. Anyways, if you liked the Martian then you probably like he he wrote the martian he wrote project hail mary and then he wrote another one about the moon which isn't my favorite one that's my least favorite but i um highly highly recommend project hail mary by andy weir check it out on audible where you can read the book or have somebody read it to you <laughs> the, the, we, are, we are not we are not sponsored by audible <laughs> just enough <FYI. laughs> I mean, maybe i shouldn't say that is it an audible exclusive i don't know i don't Anyways, know whatever listen whatever. to it Find, you buy the book. I don't care. Whatever you do. I can like they it. read it too? And then if they let me know to, what you think. Like... Yeah, you can read it. It's probably just as fine read. But let me know. If you read it, let me know if, what you think. And because I always like talking about books with people that have uh, also listened to them. <laughs> I assume that everyone listens <laughs> if to you, books. If you, read, you, if read, you it. read it, you're out. If you've read the book, you're out. You can't. You can't talk to her about it. All right, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about hosting a game night. All right, we are back, and we are going to be talking about hosting a board game night or board game day. I guess you could also include that, too. I, you know what? That's a good point, because I much prefer my board game day to start in the day. <laughs> I don't like going to a, a board game night, and, and I was like, all right, show up at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock? Jeez. Yeah, for one game. <laughs> See, I think that's okay. Let's talk about that real quick then. What would do you prefer? Would you prefer like consistent game nights or consistent game days? I prefer all day gaming, but I know that's not realistic. So we like to game every Wednesday. That's consistent. I like that we all do the same night of the week. And then we like to try to get together on the weekends when we can. And that I like to do like half the day, right? I mean, if I had it my way, I would do it all day. But, you know, we have other obligations and things going on in our life. So to me, long as possible. But I definitely want to start by like four or five. I don't like starting late at night. What's half a day? What time do you start at half a day? Like four or five. Because then I've got the whole day at home. Maybe with my family if I've got things going on and then I start in the afternoon sometime. 
Yeah, I don't know, four or five. Because honestly, when we go to game night on Wednesdays, sometimes we'll get there as early as 4.30 and start playing. Yeah. So it's not much different than, yeah. I don't know, Mm -hmm. for me, I like having, it's nice having that consistent game night to go. And what's funny is it almost feels like two separate gaming events when you do a game night at where we go. We go to a local game store and we do game night there. And then hosting something at your house for a game day. Because, like, for us, when we go to game night, very, very often it is new hotness plays or Mm. something new. It doesn't seem to be the time where we're going to just go back and be able to play older titles that we would just want to get played. Sometimes we do, but for the most part, it feels like newer games. Somebody's got to make a point. Yeah, somebody's got to make a point to get those to the table. Yeah. I think that's bit, that's very true. I mean, I'm sure all game all game venues are different and kind of flow depending on how the people what the people like to play. But but hosting a board game day at your house that's slightly different, and that's kind of what we're talking about, right, Bob? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I would say that's more what I would consider is hosting something at your specific house. So mm-hmm. I know y- you and I definitely differ slightly on this. When I host something, when you host something, when you host something. You invite everyone and their best friend. Yep. Whereas I try to limit the player count to something that will be. You send out a personal invitation to the people that you want to invite and with a particular count in mind. Yes. Yep. And then if somebody can't make it, you'll invite another person. Pretty much. You kind of work your way through the list. I like to invite everybody. One, because I like everybody to be included. Anybody who would like to come, I want to be included. Um, if we have if we have a bunch of people, cool. We'll break up into a couple different tables. That's fine. You know, so like the number of people, it doesn't really matter to me who shows up. I just want um, everybody who wants to come to come. And I, I like to invite everybody because I know that a lot of people won't be able to make it, right? So if I invite like 20, 30 people and I get, you know, three to six, that's perfect. What is What would you say is your rate of people invite to people showing up like how many people do you normally invite and how many people normally show up what's on average oh it's like a quarter so if i want five people i would invite 20 man i don't know if i want five people i'm just gonna pick five people i know i can do it it's not a personal invitation yeah that's what i'm (laughs) saying it's it's it feels better that way to give them a like here's a little personal invite come to my house let's play games yeah don't don't bring cheetos we're good The, I think so the, either way is fine, you know. Here's the problem with inviting everyone and their best friend. For me, at least. I So I can definitely appreciate wanting to include everybody. And mm-hmm. there's definitely something to be said about that. Now, my, my personal setup in my basement is one table. I could fit other tables. So it's not like that's what's holding me back is the fact that there's one single table. But for me, mm-hmm. a lot of times, if you go from four players to five players it like completely cuts out probably 80 percent of the games that i own because now if you have five players it's one of those things where you break off into groups of three and two that's kind of awkward three and three would be slightly better so six would be better but Mm -hmm. as soon as you as soon as you hit five the amount of games you can play as an entire group is so much smaller. That pool is so much smaller. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I'm, when I'm thinking about doing a game, game night, game day, you know, a game session at my house, typically I have an idea of what kind of games I want to get played anyway. Sometimes it is specifically so I can get certain games played. So I'll say, all right, let me ask these people because I know this is the type of game they will like. Mm Mm-hmm. When you ask them to, to come, come over and, and play, play that game. So that's the plan. Right, right. Yeah. And usually that's what, usually what I go in there with a plan of what I want to play. And maybe that's different for you because I don't think you have much of a plan when it, you're not really a planner. No, I'm not. I just invite everybody and then when whoever shows up, we figure out what we're going to play based on the number of people that show up. You spend 20 minutes arguing about what to play. We don't argue. We spend 20 minutes. Oh, it's fine. I'll play whatever. Oh, it's fine. Well, whatever. Oh, yeah. This is just almost pick. worse. Just like if, if people have strong opinions besides, nah. <laughs> no, no, like no, one person. Fine. Nah. I don't really like that game. Then what do you want to play? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's the like, <laughs> it's the asking your spouse where they want to eat. 
debate, right? Where do you want to, I don't care. All right, let's have, you know, pizza. I don't want pizza. <laughs> well, what do you want? I don't care. You pick. Well, I'm not going to pick because you don't, there's clearly, there's something. I just got to guess right is what it is. <laughs> All right. So what what about people that don't have a group um, and they want to start hosting at their house, but they just don't have a group to, to invite over? Get any advice for them? If you're trying to create a space in which you can invite people over to play games, I can, the only thing I can do is speak from experience on how I've come to the point right now where I have a group that I can call and be like, Hey, do you guys want to come to game night? Mm -hmm. And the way it worked for me, and this is the same thing happened with creating, let's say a D and D group is I started going to a local game store and the way it worked for me is I, I went and we talked about the getting into the hobby, mm-hmm. you know, a few, a uh, bunch of episodes ago, but I finally was able to like sit down with people and start playing. And then I think by consistently coming back and being able to sit down and play with the different people, you start developing that relationship with people. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I develop the friends that I have now that I can be like, Hey, let's go play games, mm-hmm. you know? And that's specifically, that's how I cultivated my group or cultivated the people that I would say, hey, let's go, let's get together and play mm-hmm. games. It's that's generally how it is. But the problem is like, what what if you don't have a game store? Like, what if you don't have a local game store to do anything? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you have to meet people to to have friends for sure. You can host a game night and invite your friends, and and if they're not into games yet, you could play a lot of uh, party games and fun. Um, you know, games that are really good for all all people that haven't played a lot of board games. You know, that'd be a start. You know, maybe you'll get a few that end up liking liking board games and then you can introduce them to some, uh, you know, other games like Ticket to Ride, stuff like that. Um, but it's it's almost easier to find friends that are into board games to, to find the meetups and the in the local the local scene. I would think there's got to be I mean, well, not necessarily, but I would think there's going to be some sort of local board game scene in most places. It's the industry has grown so much that mm-hmm. unless, unless you don't have like local game stores, but even then I know, for example, the local game store we play at originally, it wasn't them spot. It's not like they sponsored it or anything, or they made it a game night. It was through a different organization entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An organization was putting on this game night and it just happened to be the, this, game store was hosting it Mm -hmm. so that's how that worked so originally it wasn't the store it was something else in order to find that you could find it through you know searching online and finding stuff like that signing up that way Mm -hmm. to show up and play games yeah facebook is really good about that if you've got a local facebook group maybe you don't have a store but you have a local facebook group and then you know i certainly like for me if a stranger invited me to their house i wouldn't go but if you offered to do something in a public space you know, that would be a great way to say, hey, I'm meeting up at the library. Anybody want to meet up at the library and play a game or meet up at uh, the bar or something, some kind of place that would be open to hosting you. And you could invite a few people online there. I, I would I would recommend that over your own house if there are people you don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Actually, library is a pretty good, solid point because I know a lot of them had started doing, you know, board game nights of some kind. Mm-hmm. You know, I know one local by me has has started something, and uh, I tried volunteering to play some games, but unfortunately, just to, it just timing with my schedule just didn't work out. When they were placing them, they were doing it in the evenings that I was busy, so fortunately, I couldn't help. But even doing something like that can help cultivate a group. What about like approaching your like actual friend group that doesn't game? I would be really hesitant to do that because you don't want to turn them off from gaming. I would, but you could certainly host a game night um, and invite them all over and play some party games. That's what I would do and see how that goes. If it goes really well, then you could try another one where you have more word games, you know, like then you could introduce like, you know, maybe um, just one and um, code names be great first time games, um, some other um, lighter games before you before you kind of get into the heavy I wouldn't even say heavier games I wouldn't even say that before you get into like the the um, more traditional games I would recommend trying it out with there and seeing how it goes because I do have a lot of friends that are interested in playing 
those style party games, especially like those ones that are really in right now, like Cards Against Humanity style games, they like that. And that's kind of where it ends. So you got to find out like where where they where they like playing if they like if they're willing to play something a little bit um, more uh, strategic and less party. But I'd start off with party games and just kind of feel for it and how it goes. And then the, you you can always you can always see like there's probably like one person that'll like take a look at your collection and start asking questions. And then at that point I'd be like, hey, you want to come over next week Saturday and you and me can play a couple of these games? Like two people is fine. They're eyeing up your collection. Your that one person. Saying, hey. You get fun one person that's eyeing yeah. up your collection. I'd pull them aside. There's always hey, one. Yeah, you want me to teach you how to play Azul? And you just the yeah, two you of wanna, you. You want to join? You want to join the secret society of board gamers? But We're you cool. You need to be careful. You need to be careful and tread slowly or you're going to turn them off. Baby steps. Baby steps. And if, if they like Ticket to Ride and Azul and that's what they like and they're not interested in playing other games, you need to appreciate that and play those style of games with them or find ones that you like. You don't need to like, okay, they're going to like Ticket to Ride. Now we'll play Terraforming Mars. No, not everybody is going to go in that direction. I think that in, that in turn is the problem. For, for me specifically when it comes to like hosting and developing a group in which you can play games is finding a group that plays the games that you want to play, mm-hmm. right? That is that is at the end, that is what the problem is because you can have a bunch of new people coming over to your house on a weekly basis and teaching them just one code names, Ticket to Ride, Alhambra, you know, Splendor. You can have those people consistently doing that but if you're a medium to heavyweight euro gamer that is not what you're trying to do you're trying to the process just takes too long cuz then let's say you're trying to get somebody into the hobby okay so you teach them just one they like that they come back cool ticket to ride sweet they like that okay now let's do you know alhambra let's do azul let's do all these other things and then it's this like slow progression and you're just hoping you don't cap them out at some point so then you can give them the t- the terraforming Mars and be like, all right, this is your next step. If you do this, you're in. Like this is your part of the club. I think that's fine. Like totally do that. But it's a long game. It's a long, long game. You're going to take your time with it. I think you're better off trying to find somebody who likes Ticket to Ride. You can have your friends that you enjoy for being friends with and, and other things that you have in common. And then you've got your board gaming friends and you don't have to like them. Like you like your friends, like you can appreciate people just because you have a shared interest and enjoy their company. And that that's fine. You know, it's, it's easier to find people that like the games you like and play with them than it is to get your friends to play games that they're not into. Cause it's not going to be, it's just going to be painful for both people. What do you do about a problem gamer? Like if there's a person specifically that's been coming over recently and it's they're just a problem. I can give you parameters of a problem if you want. Yeah, but give me, can you give me an example? They're just being a jerk. No one seems to like them. Nobody wants to play games with them. They're just, yeah. Well, I would. They're me. They're you. <laughs> I would address the problematic behaviors. First of all, are they being mean? Let's address that. Um, you know, some people don't always have uh don't always realize what they're doing so if they let them know that's the best thing you can do for somebody is to be really honest and truthful and kind like hey when you get upset that you're losing it it kind of brings the whole table down can you try to tone down that that response i'd pull them aside and have a conversation with them um but we what we do we do have a lot of people in our community that you know maybe fall on the spectrum that that don't always fit in, you know, socially. And I think it's really important that we're inclusive and that even if people annoy you, you're a grown up, deal with it. Um, so what? You know, they still, they probably don't have a lot of friends. So please, please include them. And if they have a problematic behavior, you can address them. But if they're just annoying, then be a grown up and deal with it and suck it up. That's, that's my advice. Because everybody deserves Just suck it up. Everybody deserves to have friends, and when you're only friends with people that are cool, that's great. But there's a lot of uncool people that are worthy of friendship and that want friends too. See, that's where you you and I differ. Is you you're inclusive to all the jerks. Like I'm a hundred percent on board. Like jerks. be, <laughs> you know, be. That's the thing is 
be open, be welcoming, have people. Yeah, I agree. Like there's, there's a ton of people that, that what's, what's lovely about this community is how diverse it is, mm-hmm. right? There's so many people who play and they're coming from all sorts of backgrounds and everything like that. But that said, that does not excuse a person from being a jerk. If somebody's just being a general like pain in the butt and doesn't like follow any of the social contracts, doesn't necessarily do anything that like, I don't know if they're just being, if they're just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk and people don't enjoy playing with them, they're probably for me, they're not coming like inviting them back. Sure. But I don't think that's normal behavior. I think that. That's no, it's rare. That's what I'm saying is most of the time that's a rare situation. Very rarely does that happen. I think that's more of maybe somebody um, telling a joke and it not going over well. And and usually they realize it and, and that they don't make it again. But if they continually like make the same joke or tease the same person, you can you can say, hey, I don't think that person really appreciates that your humor. I think they're taking it the wrong way. I think you can ha- you can tell people that. And I think that's fine. If you, I mean, it's it, it's hard to do that. It takes practice, you know, and, and just making sure you're doing it with kindness and like, hey, I want to help you so that you fit in. People like you more. But here's the reality. Everybody wants to be liked. So if people are, are off-putting or telling inappropriate jokes or being rude, it's often not coming from a bad place. It's very rarely coming from a bad place. So I would say have grace, have sympathy, assume positive intent and assume people want to be there and want people to enjoy being around them and, and be honest and be honest. If they're doing something that bothers you, then tell them. What if, so what if somebody's like being a jerk, they've come to your game night jerk. You're like, pull them aside. Be like, Hey, you need to stop being a jerk. And they're like, Oh, my bad. No, no, no. no. When you, first of all, you don't, you don't, you don't say like abject, like you don't, you don't say you're being this or you're doing this. You don't say like you're being a jerk. You say, I don't like it when you did this. And you specifically say this behavior is problematic. Like whatever the behavior is. When you told that joke, it was not funny. It was offensive or, or call them out, like call them out. Like that joke is offensive in the moment. Like, oh yeah. Cause I made a, I made a joke. Uh, it was uh, referring to a song that was inappropriate. And they're like, that song's really offensive. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it really is. I could just call me out on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And we kind of moved on. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be offensive. And, and then once somebody called me out on it, I was like, oh, yeah, that is offensive. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reference that anymore. You know? Sure. So, so I wouldn't say to somebody, you're being a jerk. I, cause the, I'm sure they're not trying to be a jerk. All they're going to do is get defensive. Like, I'm not being a jerk. But if you say, like, when you said, when you picked on Susan, for losing, I think it might have hurt her feelings. Maybe don't do that anymore. I think you'll fit in a little better if you don't do that. When did the Board Game Shenanigans podcast turn into how to deal with interpersonal or interpersonal communications amongst like fellow people podcasts? Like when did when did this change to talking about so, board you, games too? Yeah, because I don't like when people <laughs> you say, need to you need to include everybody, Bob. And we need, I, to, yeah, we need to include, you know, there's a lot of people like you, Bob, that only want to hang out with the cool kids. And that's, it's not okay. You need to have some uncool friends. Remember, folks, if you're going to address things, use I statements instead of <laughs> you statements. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not necessarily that. It's the thing is like, you and I are talking about a couple of things. If there's problematic behavior from a person in the group, then yeah, you can be like, hey, man, like, that's not cool. And they'll be like, you know, but if somebody's just generally a shitty person, then they're not getting invited to my game night. That's what I'm saying. Sure, but I don't think you'll find very many shitty people. That's my point. There's, hey, every now and again, you know. I think so there's a figment clock, of a broken your imagination. clock's right twice like, a day, right? Uh, no, I don't think shit. I don't think people are shitty. You just, the problem, the, the, your best quality and your worst quality is the fact that you see good in every individual. Mm-hmm. That is your problem is everyone's problem. good, but not everyone's good. Everybody is good. So. They just don't always show it very well. And <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. All right. All right. All right. Whatever. It takes practice. We get better at it and we're, we're coming along nicely as a society and let's keep moving forward. It's being inclusive. But anyways. Yes, I guess so. We will do that and Bob will work on it. And when he gets, <laughs> I'm just, when we get I will start taking classes. Our jerks, I will deal with it. 
and we will be okay. All right. I'll just text you and be like, hey, you need to talk to that person. I don't like them. Yeah, maybe that's the you you one person in your group that's willing to do that. You're that person. Yeah. You you have that role. That's fine. That's our show for this week, everyone. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about science fiction versus fantasy. And there's clearly a winner it's here. Time. And we're going to discuss which one is good and which one is garbage. Oh, man, this is, I'm waiting. I am chomping <laughs> at the bit for this one. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or fe- uh, Facebook. Send us your questions and let me know what you think of Hail Mary if you've read it. I really love talking to people about books I've recently read. Um, to shenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. See you next week.